right, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again, broadcasting almost live from an ice cream shop in outside of Anchorage, Alaska. It's Tavern Voices. With me, as always, is my co-host and partner in crime, Tower Crawley. We have a big weekend and a lot of news coming up, uh, but I think first we've got to start with the big weekend, Tower. How, how are you feeling at the end of Sunday? I'm feeling good. I mean, I actually... This morning on my radio show, I was talking about how much, you know, it's tax day and it's a Monday. And so you're like, this is the worst day. It should be like the worst day ever. But it's not because of how amazing Sunday was with uh, Tiger Woods' victory at Augusta and just what that means for golf and just, I mean, everything. So I was uh, I was ecstatic being on the air this morning and I've enjoyed the entire day. It's beautiful weather. And so despite the fact that it's tax day and it's a Monday, I am having a very, very good Monday. Kevin, did I lose you? No, I'm here. I was actually talking, (laughs) but the microphone was muted. So I just wanted to know. I wanted you to know that because I was so amped up talking about how Tiger was not only just in contention, just being there and being in that spot, I was going to be happy with just him being there on Sunday to watch. And it was the first time he made a comeback on Sunday for a major win. That's true. Um, fifth green jacket. What? Fifteenth major. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was a great, great performance to watch. It was history. Not only was it just a great round of golf. It was history. Well, it's uh, also his 81st PGA Tour win. And the record is um, Sam Snead with 82. So he is now one away from tying Sneed and two away from beating that record. You know, he's got 15 majors. He's three behind Jack, uh, who has, of course, 18. And so the big question is, can Tiger get to that number? Um, or will he be content with maybe just beating Sneed's record and having five? Because Jack Nicholas has six green jackets. So Tiger is still behind on that one as well. But, I mean, I'll tell you something. I get your point about him just being in contention. That's a cool part. But he was in contention last summer at the Open. And that's what showed everyone he was back. And then he won at the Tour Championship. And so it's yeah, – I, I think he was almost past that point where it was like everyone would have been ecstatic if he was second. But at the same time, it was almost like he doesn't have many more chances. I mean, I, I think he's got maybe till he's 48. If he's lucky, 50. It depends on what – you know, his back obviously is you know new. And I mean, his back's only like three years old. So maybe he can get a little bit more time. But – if he's in a position like that and doesn't capitalize, it's going to be so heartbreaking because it's not like he's you know 25 where it's, oh, he's got 10, 15 more years left. He doesn't. And so every time he is in position on Sunday to win a major, everyone is going to be rooting for him to do it because you just don't know when he's going to be there next. But Augusta is just is like perfection. that That's where he won, you know, 22 years ago winning there. Uh, when he was 21 years old and just what that meant for golf going forward. And so I'm looking forward to see what this means for golf going forward. A lot of people that were watching yesterday, a lot of youngsters had never seen Tiger do that before. And you, I, I, if I owned any kind of golf company right now, I would be ecstatic about what this means for the bottom line. <laughs> Cause I feel like you're going to see another, another, maybe not as big as we saw, but another sort of resurgence with everyone once again, watching golf and wanting to know what Tiger's doing. Well, let me ask you 
Uh, just one more quick question on this because you are the resident golf expert out of the two of us, obviously. <laughs> but um, what do you think it means just psychologically that, A, he came from behind, yeah. hadn't been dumb? Like, like, what does that do now if you are competing against Tiger before it seemed like the methodology was as long as you could beat him coming into Sunday, you could probably hold him off. But now that 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 seems to – you know, obviously it's one case, but psychologically that's got to have a factor. And on top of that, how do you think it plays when, let's be honest, his first nine holes yesterday weren't really spectacular? Yeah, I mean, the reason that Tiger never came from behind to win a major is because he was never behind. I mean, that's sort of like, you know, I mean, it was he was either playing well or he wasn't. And I think one of the problems that you're seeing with Tiger right now is that he left a lot of shots out there. He should have been in the lead of that of of that tournament going in uh, to the last day. I mean, he's 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 missing putts that he would have made 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, he was driving the ball well, he was hitting the ball well, but he's 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 never going to be back to where he was. I mean, that's that's just not going to happen. That that happens once in a generation, if not once in a sport. Um, and so I think that there is sort of this sense that, wow, Tiger was able to accomplish that goal and, and, and go into a final day. But it also goes to show that he is still, you know, he's not going to be that dominating force that he was, that there are some days that he is, you know, like I said, in his prime, he would not have been uh, behind going in to that last day playing well. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. And I'll tell you, the one thing that to me is kind of funny is a lot of these young guys like uh, Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler and Justin Thompson and Dustin Johnson, they always talked about like, how wouldn't it be great to play Tiger in his prime? And I think they're starting to realize like, oh, never mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> they thought like, oh yeah, we could take them. And like, they're not even getting his prime. And everybody folded yesterday at just the sight of his name uh, and they're now experiencing what people like Phil Mickelson and Ernie Els and David Duvall and all these other guys that when you know when Tiger started making a run at it and just the psychological, I mean, like the crowds, I mean, like players were adjusting um, their tee shots. And I mean, maybe you do this with everyone, but with Tiger, it's every shot. Like if you know that he has a putt for birdie and he's going to make that, you don't even attempt to hit your tee shot because if he makes that, the, the, the roar is going to be deafening that you're not going to be able to hit. I mean, so it that sort of psychological impact. And also, I mean, I don't even want to know what the psychological uh, impact is of being in a tournament like that and know that everyone is rooting against you. Like <laughs> like Francisco Molinari, I mean, was getting death stares probably from everyone in that crowd because nobody wanted him to win. Everyone wanted Tiger to win. And that's also, there's something, you know, it can motivate some players and others, it can, it can defeat them. So... I, I think it's great for golf. I mean, obviously, Tiger was was you know great twenty years ago when he you know caused golf to just surge in popularity. And I think it's going to happen again. And I think it's well deserved. I mean, the guy less than two years ago was pulled over for a DUI, and people said that's it, he's done. You know that mug shot, that video of him, you know, incoherent. And then less than two years after kick, you know, working his butt off, he ends up with a green jacket. Just it's amazing. I mean, it's, 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 as everyone says, quite possibly, and I think is the greatest comeback in sports history. I can't think of anything that would top that. No, I'm I'm right there with you, man. No. And that's why we had to talk about it. Yeah. No, it's exciting. Now we, we, we don't even have to talk about anything else. If you don't want. <laughs> well, I guess we can talk about someone who we'll see what their comeback is going to be like, but the North Carolina GOP is going to need uh, a comeback of some kind. So we all know Robin Hayes has announced that he will not be well we already know he's not running again and of course he got indicted and so obviously he uh will not be on the ticket for the uh, upcoming conference in june and i believe concord 
And there was a question about what's going to happen to Dallas Woodhouse, who has been the executive director since 2015. He announced today that he is not going to be running. And there was already there were already some candidates who had come forward and said that, yeah, or you know, we're going to let Woodhouse yep. kind of we're going to let his contract expire. We're not going to renew it. And there's definitely a call for some new blood with all of you know these allegations with Greg Lindbergh and the in and, and you know are, are there more indictments to come and so there i guess the big question now the top two guys are out you got to wonder if there's going to be a cleaning house um in the GOP and Kevin what what are your thoughts do you think they're just going to absolutely clean house and just get all new people or can some of the low level staffers who probably had nothing to do with this can they stay or is just is the taint too much I mean, I think you have to have a cleaning of house at this point, right? I mean, changing tides or not, you've consistently lost ground over the last two elections from the supermajority. Um, so th- politically, I think you have issues going on. Um, the public facing version of the GOP has taken a big hit, obviously, in the last few weeks with the uh, the word indictment joining GOP in every headline. So, yeah, I think there has to be a little bit of a changing. And sometimes in these positions, whether or not you've done a good job, you know, so like I'm, I'm not saying that Dallas has got to go because he's done this or not done this. Um, but I think it's purely from when you're a figurehead position like that, sometimes you have to fall on your sword. You know, that's what revitalizes the party. You step out of the way. You let someone else come in. You let the rebranding happen. Um, and I think deeper than that, though, is the the party itself. I mean, we've seen this nationally. You've got the Trump GOP. You've got the moderate Jeb GOP, we'll call it. Um, you've got the Rubio GOP and the Rand GOP. You've got these different factions Um, which obviously both parties do, but I think the Republican Party has got a faction issue. Um, And in North Carolina, you see that. You've got the strong social conservative HB2 part of the party. Um, You've got just the the fiscally responsible part uh, of the party that focuses on economics and taxes and a lot of the successful reforms that we've had here in the state. Um, And so, and I don't think you've had a strong leader to help bridge those gaps or to give a strong message as to which, uh, you know, why people should be joining the GOP. I feel like they're always on defense. And so I think it could be great to have someone new coming in that would really rebrand and uplift things and say, hey, we're not the party of no and we're not the party of scandals and all these other things, but we've done awesome things in the state and we need to uh, we need to keep on that track and 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 see lay out lay out ideas for a good future, what the GOP could be and how it could help North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I think that even if you have good people um, in the party in some other positions, it's just sort of the unfortunate reality that that's just what happens when you hit yourself into whatever wagon uh, that you're a part of. Um, and it, it's, it's sort of, I mean, that, those are the rule of politics. I mean, think about how many great campaign advisors or political advisors have, you know, had to resign or leave a campaign or leave a party because somebody's got to go. And it, that's just the nature of the game. And, I think that's what's going to have to happen. It doesn't mean your career is over. It doesn't mean that you're even going to be tainted by this, but it's just sort of, this is what, if you're, let's face it, most people that work for a party, they believe in that party. And it's sort of the, I hate to say this phrase, but it's sort of like the greater good where what's good for the GOP. And the good thing for the GOP is is to clean house and, and get a bunch of new people in there just to save face because 2020 
I mean, and the, and the, and the other component is, is what are the Democrats going to do? I mean, I would assume that Wayne Goodwin's got to go. But what if they don't? What if they're so dumb they keep Wayne Goodwin and we clean house? We can almost turn this thing around on them. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's it's sort of a half. I mean, we sort of have to do it because if, if they get rid of Wayne Goodwin and we keep some of the people, then we look bad. Um, if we get rid of our people, but they keep Wayne Goodwin, then we got a shot. And if we both get rid of everybody, then we're sort of, you know, we're still going to get hit, but I don't think it's hard. So I, I think it's kind of a no brainer. And that's just sort of the nature of politics. When when things go bad, you, you, you got to go down with the ship, unfortunately. Yeah, no. I mean, I, th- I think you're right. And F- one of the good examples of where the GOP has lost a lot of ground is with um, the education forefront. And a couple of episodes ago, we talked about how there was a bipartisan bill being supported here in the state from the lieutenant governor, um, both parties in kind of the House and the Senate. And they're spearheading this idea of doing financial literacy. Uh, and we talked about how great that would be because we feel like there's a huge deficit Uh, with people understanding basic finances and personal financial responsibility when they leave high school here in the state. So the idea of a mandatory class to help them understand what student loans are going to be like, how they're going to impact your life following college. Is that the right step to take? What credit cards are going to do? What you need to look out for when you're trying to buy a house, mortgage rates, uh, finance rates on a new car, things like that. Important decisions because that trickles down, right? Because the more people are um, unaware of how these impact them, then they get in bad situations in life. And then they're more likely uh, to rely on government programs, uh, to default on loans that then hurt the other people who were financially responsible. Um, So of course, because we thought this was a good idea, now it's being challenged in the media. And an article came out in the News and Observer asking, you know, if they do these financial literacy courses, what is going to take a hit? And everyone is saying, well, we're now going to have to get rid of U.S. history classes, uh, at least one of these mandatory U.S. history classes doing the uh, I can't remember what the term is, but basically the false dichotomy that you can't have a financial literacy class without sacrificing something else. And of course, what could we make make the GOP look bad with other than Let's try to kill a U.S. history class, which I know they hold near and dear to their heart. And this article, of course, is really fair and balanced. So they talked to uh, Republican uh, Craig Horn, who is the head of the the House uh, K-12 Education Committee. And then they talk about uh, and interview the activists who are closing down our public schools on May 1st uh, and how – the GOP is just so out of touch by trying to require this class and what's going to be sacrificed for it. So my question to you, Tyler, is, is it possible to teach our students more than one principle or do we really just have to keep trading them off? Well, this is liberalism 101. I guess I should say big government 101, where whenever cuts are announced to government, it's always like, well, I guess we got to get rid of the police officers. And it's like, whoa, 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 why is that the first thing that we're going to cut? It's like police officers, firemen, uh, you know, emergency personnel. It's like, why is that the first thing we're getting rid of and not like diversity coordinators or, you know, or the, or some of the, you know, parks programs that we have? Like, why is the first thing that gets cut policemen? And this is what big government people do is, is, is that they find the one thing that they know that is essential for government. 
it's why whenever you argue with someone about big government, it's like, oh, oh, I guess you don't want, you know, police officers. Like, no, I, I want police officers. I just don't think that we need, um, you know, government saying what business should be allowed to uh, set up shop in, you know, downtown Wilmington, for example, where I am, or how many taxis should be allowed in downtown Wilmington, or should Uber be allowed or Airbnb? Government shouldn't do that. And so when I say I'm against that, to jump to, oh, well, I guess you don't want police officers. You want anarchy. It's like, <laughs> there's a huge gap between Airbnb and no laws at all. But that's what they do because they know that it'll work and people will will freak out and go, oh, no police officers. Oh, well, we definitely need to keep funding everything at 100% because we can't lose police officers. And so that's all they're doing here is it's, is it's, it's basically, oh, so we're going to teach financial literacy. Okay, well, I guess we'll get rid of uh, US history then. It's like, whoa, 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 why don't we get rid of um, what's a stupid class they teach in school? Uh, algebra. Why don't we? No, I'm just, I can't think of anything dumb that, that that's in our schools. But um, I mean, there's a ton of classes. But I'm I'm trying to think at the at the at the high school level. But yeah, find the time. Get rid of you know something. There's something on the schedule that they can get rid of, um, or put it in a history class. I mean, we, for, financial literacy is not going to take a year to teach. I mean, I remember I learned financial literacy in a class I took in high school, and I think we spent like, you know, four weeks on it. I don't know how well it, it did for me. I'm, I'm pretty bad with money, but I'm sure other people learned something. I mean, they're acting like this is going to be a super intensive. We're not training kids to be accountants or economists. We're teaching them basic economics. You can put it into an already, you know, math class and just spend, you know, the end of the year focusing on it or what. I mean, it's. However, they're going to do it. But the idea that we're going, to, we're going to get rid of U.S. history is just it's a fear tactic that big government people use all the time. Yeah. And instead of arguing about it, what if we, I don't know, work together to figure something out? And in the article, there's actually a good example where John DeVille is a Franklin High School uh teacher in Macon County. I think he teaches some sort of uh, social studies class. And his proposal was um, he said – um, put it as part of a consumer math class instead of math three, because that's where you're getting at. You have it used to be you had algebra, geometry, pre-cal and cal if you took math all four years. Now you have all this math one, one A, one B, math two, three, math four. And you still have a jumble of the AP classes. You've got AP statistics and AP calculus and all this mess. So why not have a consumer math class where Instead of just abstract math, teach people math principles and personal uh, literacy, uh, financial literacy. Yeah. I mean, there's it, the idea that we have to get rid of one of the most important class. And, they, and they're doing that on purpose because they know that conservatives love U.S. history because, you know, we always argue we're not teaching the, about the founding. And so, of course, that's the first thing they threaten to get rid of. It's it's yeah, they do it all the time. It's there's no doubt. Now, speaking of things that the government wastes money on. So I was just talking about all the dumb things that we do and it's always, oh, maybe we should cut spending. Oh, I guess we're going to get rid of police officers. Well, no, if we decide to cut spending in North Carolina or specifically if Orange County decides that they're going to cut spending, instead of getting rid of police officers, maybe they can get rid of the budget that allowed them to pay $9,000 for Palestinian activist Linda Sarzor to come and speak. So uh, this happened a few weeks ago. A lot of uproar, as you can imagine, especially because they weren't even allowed to videotape it. <laughs> People weren't allowed to bring cameras like, what is she saying? The taxpayers are paying for a speech 
and people aren't allowed to bring cameras and film this thing. So a lot of questions. There's continuing to be questions, but they did release the overall cost of the budget of the speech. Nine thousand dollars, five thousand of which went to her. Uh, they also played for extra security because there were protesters. About fifteen hundred dollars went to overtime. Uh, there was also they paid for her hotel. They paid for mileage. They paid for some of her you know incidentals or whatever it may be. But the whole thing cost nine thousand dollars. And my question, Kevin, is why is Orange County paying a Palestinian activist whose claim to fame is starting the Women's March and has now been pretty much disgraced because of her anti-Semitism? Why is Orange County paying her $9,000 to come speak? Does that make any sense? Have you ever been to Orange County? Well, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> I mean, more in like a, I, you know, like a general sense. But I guess, yes, listen, Orange County does make some sense. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a reason that Chapel Hill is the epicenter of Orange County. And the, I mean, Orange County itself is a liberal haven paradox, right? Because you have people talking about affordable housing, but have you ever tried to buy a house in Chapel Hill? I mean, look at the property values. It's it's insane what a rundown shack will run you anywhere near the University of Chapel Hill. Um, you talk about how they want equality for all these students, but only the, the richest people get to go to the Chapel Hill public schools. I mean, it's elitism at its greatest. So why wouldn't they have an anti-Semite come and speak on the taxpayer dollars? That's probably what they want their tax money to go towards. It would be like a red county having Ted Nugent come and talk, you know? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's who they want to spend their tax money on. It makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, but the thing that it drives me crazy is, I mean, even if you support Linda Sarzor, and I believe her, her, I'd love to know what her overall sort of support is because, like I said, I mean, she's been a little discredited and, and uh, you know, the, her, her anti-Semitism and a lot of Democrats are kind of like, Ugh. I don't know. Democrats have distanced themselves from the, uh, the Women's March and, and uh, besides AOC and Elon Omar, I can't think of too many other Democrat congressmen they will take photos with, uh, with Sarzor. But it's just – Looking at, we're spending $9,000. I mean, I get it. $9,000 in the grand scheme of things, not that, not that much money. But it's, why isn't someone going to Orange County to talk about like mass transit or someone going there to help them deal with you know affordable housing? And it's like, what is she doing? <laughs> like she provides no value to the Orange County taxpayer. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a conservative. Even if the conservatives invited someone who I'm a huge fan of, like Jonah Goldberg, for example, if the city of Wilmington invited Jonah Goldberg to speak and paid him $9,000, I would still be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, I don't, what, what did he do? Did, I mean, did he give you advice on, you know, downtown Wilmington and, and how we can revitalize certain areas? Like, I mean, I, they're, if this, if a, if a local government's going to spend money, it should be for helping that local government, that local community. And I don't see any value. She's she adds no insight to making Orange County a better place to live, unless her just speaking makes it a better place to live, which I guess would make sense in Orange County. But anyway, Tyler, that is exactly what happens when government just continues to grow. Is you get these weird things where taxpayer money is being spent on on just random things because they have this money and they have to spend it somehow. And that is not being a steward of anyone's money, uh, regardless of your political affiliation. And I think um, then you have this beast that has to continually be fed by more and more tax dollars without anyone stepping back to say, 
hey, why are we spending money on this? And a great example of that is a piece of legislation that's being introduced right now that is going to add a new fee on hybrid and electric vehicles. Now, in principle, I kind of like this idea because what happens is that electric cars and hybrid cars are not paying their fair share, which is what the left loves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all about the fair share. So um, what I'm, what this bill aims to do is because they're not paying their fair share of uh, gas tax, which pays to pave the roads and our infrastructure that they are using, they're going to just add a fee on top of the registration for any uh, hybrids and electric cars. Um, but of course, everyone is getting incensed about this saying, oh, this isn't fair. You're, you're singling out these people who are, of course, just altruistically out to help the environment, even though they're not buying any gas whatsoever. Um, and I think especially on the backs of you have Solar City, which uh, is Elon Musk's company that's now wrapped up in Tesla, I believe, where they're putting in all these charging stations for free for Tesla drivers. Um, So there's really no cost in operating these vehicles, um, but yet they get to use our roads. So Tyler, my question is, is this just government needing to be fed more and more? Or um, do we really need to rethink how we are collecting revenue um, as times change and as uh, capitalism is is changing the the way that, um, you know, we, we transport ourselves from point A to point B? Well, I mean, I guess you could argue that this is a problem that the Republicans face, right, where they're sort of a victim of their own success, where one of the arguments about the the current tax system is that the Republicans have done such a good job of getting people off of the uh, income tax rolls that now so many people aren't paying income taxes. We're now running into a problem where so many people aren't paying income taxes. And it's when we make tax cuts. It doesn't affect anybody anymore. So when the Republicans, you know, recently passed this big tax cut and wow, look what it's doing to the economy. People were like, eh, they just kind of shrug because half of them aren't paying taxes. And so the Democrats are finding themselves also a victim of their own success because they have successfully uh, lobbied and gotten cars to be more fuel efficient. And what, what that means is people aren't filling their cars up as, as, as often. And in some cases, not at all because they have an electric car. And so now all of a sudden the coffers especially money going to keep our roads safe and and uh, manageable is being depleted very quickly. And now they got to figure out what they're going to do. And the problem is, is that, yeah, sure, a lot of people are buying electric and hybrids, but the majority of people still have gas, overwhelming majority. And so you can't completely change the tax system because the way we're doing it right now is pretty good and it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, what's, what's so funny is whenever you hear Democrats talk about, uh, you know, the, the oil companies, look how much, look how much money they make. I mean, oil companies make like two cents off of every gallon when all is said and done, when you remove R and D and you remove, you know, the refinement process and transporting and everything else, like two cents of every gallon is what an oil company makes. Governments make like 50 to 60 cents per gallon. And so this is a good gig for uh, government right now. And if they were to completely translate it like they're doing with electric, it would mean that all of us would pay like three, four, five hundred dollars when we go to register our car. And that is going to tick people off because the best thing when it comes to taxes is to do something incrementally. 
because people don't realize it. So if you put like a little 10 cent tax in, uh, you know, or a dollar or $2 tax in, you know, biweekly or whatever it is, no one's really going to get upset about that. But if you charge them all at once, it's why people who do their taxes at the end of the year, small business owners and others who are self-employed, they will tell you exactly what they paid, how much they had to write a check. They can't stand it. But all of us, most of us, who get paychecks, we have no idea what we pay because it just now with, you know, with, with, uh, uh withholding, um, and direct deposit, no one even knows what they're paying anymore. At least back in the day to see a check. And so the Democrats don't want to completely remove the system because people would then start realizing how much they are paying in gas tax right now. They're, they're completely oblivious to it because it's slowly been happening over time. So they don't want to upend the system but they're going to have to do something because they are succeeding at getting people away from uh, gas guzzling vehicles, but they don't want that to happen because then we're going to know the true cost of taxation and that hurts them. So it's, they're a victim of their own success. It's, it's uh, hard to say that, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, I bet if you ask people, how much do you pay in gas tax every year? They have no idea. And Mm. that's myself included. I was sitting here doing the math and I'm saying, all right, so for every 10 gallons you put in your car, you're paying about, you're paying about five bucks, right? In, in, in taxes at 50 cents a gallon. So normal cars say 15 gallons, you fill up every week to week and a half, you know, two weeks, depending on your commute. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're, you're paying a good five, 600 bucks a year in gas tax. So, I mean, I think it would be great to flip that over um, (laughs) and have a usage tax. But again, the problem is, what are you doing with people who are using the roads that don't live here? You know, all the transient traffic, if they don't buy gas, are not paying anything for the wear and tear on the roads, which is why we have the gas tax. Because they've talked about doing mileage taxes and such, but then you can't transfer that mileage tax over to... Uh, to transient vacationers. And and we have a lot of that between the mountains and the coast. We get a ton of tourism. We do. We do. Well, and, and the thing is, there are also, um, I mean, that is a problem. And so that's why, you know, I really don't like the one proposal that exists out there where they put like a machine in your car and it figures out how much you drove and where, and then they can, you know, bill you for it just because I don't like the government tracking my car. I mean, I'm not going to do anything wrong, but still, I mean, it's, I, I mean, I if don't you like did that. want to do something wrong, then yeah. it's no, it's none of their business. That <laughs> you Depends on what I'm doing. Be. It might be their business. <laughs> Depends on what, what my wrong thing that I'm doing is. Um, but yeah, I mean, and so the problem is there's aren't a lot of good solutions if you're a Democrat, because you don't want to be a part of the surveillance, surveillance state. Well, at least with Donald Trump in office when, you know, we elect Pete Buttigieg and, and he wants to put a machine in our car. Oh, we'll totally trust him. We love him. He's, you know, a liberal. And so he won't abuse civil rights. Um, and so the Democrats definitely don't want surveillance now. And so, yeah, the only option is, is car registration. But, yeah, people that don't register their car but drive all around North Carolina are damaging the roads and aren't paying a penny. And so how do we figure that out? And that's where it starts getting very – see, the gas tax was great. Because if you're driving through North Carolina, the odds are you're going to fill up, um, especially if you're driving a lot. And so that was how we we were able to tax those people. But yeah, I mean, it it uh, it worries me that the only way we're going to be able to do it fairly is GPS, and it's going to be like taxation where they figure out how long you worked in a place to figure out if you owe income tax to a certain state or not. Are we going to start doing that with gas tax? And that's just going to get so complicated and very invasive. And so I'm not a fan of it. So. I like this over the alternative. Oh, I do too. But I mean, ultimately, aren't we, what we're talking about right now is nationalizing 
the the road system essentially. Yeah. And then just having people pay as part of their federal income taxes a road usage tax based on where they've been, and then the government will just divvy that money up. I yeah. think I mean that's ultimately what's gonna happen, which I think would be a huge benefit for a state like North Carolina, who has the second most mileage of roads in the country behind Texas, I believe. So we would be getting the big chunk of the money and then someone like Wyoming will get $78. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, there's a lot of options out there and a lot of them are, are leading us to either bigger government, uh, either way you look at it, either from a federal perspective or the state spying on you or whatever it is. And so maybe I'm not such a big fan of electric cars. <laughs> Those Teslas are cool and all, but if it means the surveillance state is here to stay, I will uh, I will keep driving my Volvo. So I just I just want bicyclists to have to pay for the stupid lane that they get. Yeah, that's all I want. That that would be fair to me. Let's let's start there. Let's start with some local uh, ordinances and some some laws to license plate to register a bicycle if it's going to be on a public bicycle lane. Let's start there. That's all I want. I like it. I like it. Let's start with bicyclists and see how that goes. I'm, I'm down. Well, we are out of time, Tyler. I mean, proverbially, technically yes. we could talk as long as we want to, but I know every minute past 30 minutes, we're losing someone who is turning us off of their radio. <laughs> so for the sake of saving face, is there anything else we need to know about? Nope. That's it. I am clean out. You got it all. All right, man. Well, it's been a great tax day, a great master's weekend. And maybe uh, next week it's going to be following Easter. Uh, We have Good Friday coming up. So uh, a lot of great stuff. So that means people are going to have a lot of time to travel and visit with family and uh, catch up on our on our podcast. So they better take advantage. Road trips, tavern voices, hand in hand. That's right. That's right. And then when they get to their family's house for Easter dinner, they bring up what we talked about. And then what's better than politics at the dinner table? Exactly. It looks so smart. Like, wow, that was so smart. And you can just say, and listen, no copyright on any of this brilliant, these brilliant ideas. Steal them. Enjoy. Actually, not yet. But go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs>